From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Following baseball's early exit from the NCAA tournament, the athletic calendar is nearly at its conclusion, although track and field is hoping to have something more to say before the book is officially closed. But by and large, the story has been written, which gives us a good opportunity to reflect as we wind down this season of Gator Tales, wrapping up over the next few weeks with special episodes featuring Scott Strickland, Becky Burley, and some of the past and present UF Olympians ahead of Tokyo. But before we get to that final stretch, we had to bring you one final roundtable for this bizarre season, with FloridaGators.com's senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry weighing in on baseball's last stand, a big milestone in the construction of the new football facility, the transfer portal transformed core of men's basketball, the biggest stories on and off the field for the program this season, and classic Olympic moments in the PAT. So without further ado, let's get to this extended final roundtable of the year, beginning with the disappointing results at Florida Ballpark. Well, it was a, you know, a surprising inning without question, Adam. I mean, you, you saw a team that in the SEC tournament, you know, they win those first three games and the sense was that if they can play like that in the NCAA tournament, they can make a run and maybe put some of the, I guess, criticism, fair, unfair of the expectations that they started the year with to bed. But it just didn't happen. I mean, you know, they faced a couple of teams who really were excited to be there in uh, USF and South Alabama. Obviously, you lose to USF on Friday. Put them in the loser's bracket, which then you got to dig out of it by winning four in a row. Very hard to do. And uh, in that, you know, loser's elimination game on Saturday, they were in the game until that sixth inning. But that sixth inning was a uh, – I'm sure is a classic for the South Alabama folks. They'll be talking about that for a long time. Florida fans, not so much. They want to they want to throw that at them. And they scored ten runs, ten straight hits. Uh, the way I put it is, in the seventh inning, before another weather delay, they actually came back and hit three three home runs in one inning uh, after the 10 running, and that kind of got overshadowed. So that just shows you how crazy that inning was, and you see the final score, 19-1, to 1, and uh, that's just not what we've come to expect from uh, the Gators baseball team uh, under Kevin O'Sullivan. And it, I think when I look at this season, Adam, I, I, one thing it does, it, it shows me, and I've, and I've been in this camp for a long time, uh, well before this Gators baseball team. But it shows you how you kind of just have to roll your eyes at preseason rankings because, you know, you go into this year and they're consensus number one in all 87 uh, college baseball polls. And, well, that was based on 17 games from last year. They were very good in 2020 while they were playing. But that was also before the SEC started. It was also just against a lot of non-conference opponents who uh, they should have beaten. So uh, I think uh, you look at this thing in, t- in two different ways. It was the 2021 Gators team overrated without question? Uh, I think they were a good team. Uh, they fit, went 38 and 22. 
uh, had a winning record in the SEC, uh, had some good moments along the way, uh, had some all SEC performers, uh, but it just was a team that, you know, they were inconsistent. They, they kind of struggled with consistency early in the year, handling those expectations. And they got into a stretch where they went 15 and four and got themselves back in the conversation about being maybe a team that could do something in the postseason. But you look at their last 17 games, Adam, they went eight and nine in those 17 games. So it was almost like they came back to the team they were early in the season. And uh, it's just one of those teams that, for whatever reason, I don't think it maximized maybe its potential with some injuries, with the inconsistency. And do you factor in, uh, I think, being overrated somewhat in the polls? And it, it just leaves, I think, Gator baseball fans with a disappointing taste in their mouth, but we'll see how they can rebound. I mean, they've got a lot of good things going, most notably uh, that great stadium. And uh, it was unfortunate that the first year in it ended like it did and really started like it did with COVID restrictions. So uh, maybe it'll be some better days ahead in 2022 for the program. You mentioned baseball wrapping up their first year in Florida ballpark. Uh, The site of the old McEaton Stadium is now basically part of the massive site of the new Heavener football training facility, which celebrated its, its topping out this past week. That's a, for those who don't know, it's a construction thing. I guess you put the, the highest piece of the building in place. That's a, a milestone along the way, uh, especially for a project like this. It is just so massive in scope, uh, whether it's size, cost, you name it. Um, tell us about, uh, about this topping out ceremony and, and some of what came from it this week. Well, what struck me in, in going to this uh, ceremony <laughs> struck me. To, I, I don't know that does it that does justice to how I felt inside this structure. It is just massive in there, and um, massive as po- as say one hundred and forty thousand square feet. Um, the just standing in the area, and I guess I want to say. Imagine that that uh, area where you're walking into the old McKeithen Stadium. Uh, going down that ramp along the, the, as you're going into the entrance there, as you're going to walk into the old McKeithen Stadium. Well, basically that whole area is now, is going to be a weight, a 13,000 square foot weight room um, hmm. for football only. And <laughs> I mean, it just, and it's going to, uh, it's going to be attached to the uh, indoor uh, football facility with this giant, um, uh, glass enclosed or plastic enclosed uh, door that can open up. You can look at it. You can go right from lifting weights and walk right onto this indoor practice facility. And then I just, the way I described it in my story, Adam was like two Walmart stacked on top of each other. Cause that's, <laughs> that's really what it, what it really felt like to me mm-hmm. to be inside there and all this expansive, uh, all this space that's going to be office space. It's going to be obviously meeting space. It's there's going to be, the locker room, uh, Dan Mullen said, he believes it's going to be the best locker room, not just in, in college, but maybe in all of sports. Wow. Uh, that's, that's going to be something interesting to see. And and having said all this, people were saying, well, that's a lot to give the football team. Okay, yes, it is a lot to give the football team. Now, remember, this football team, this is one of the last football teams in the country that's been housed in a, in a football stadium. That line of thinking went away with the Dodo Bird. Uh, teams have moved into their own standalone structures uh, a long time ago, especially in, in the Southeastern Conference. And yeah, in this uh, Star Wars kind of battle for with uh, facilities, um, 
Florida's Florida's playing catch up and they're going to catch up in a big way with this place. Uh, uh, again, it, it, it is a football facility, but at the same time, there's going to be plenty of amenities for, uh, for the student, for the student athletes in general, a whole front quadrant of the building is going to be the Gator dining hall, the main Gator dining hall. And then there's going to be a, a bunch of uh, places for these athletes to come and socialize, whether you're talking about a video game room, a lounge, a, they call it a resort style uh, a pool area. And uh, you're talking about 90,000 gallons worth of worth of uh, chlorinated water zipping around through there, an area where they can have volleyball turn like play volleyball area where they can play wiffle ball, an area where they can play ping pong. There's a uh, looks like the, uh, a little fire pit of over there on cool kind of evenings for for them to come and hang out. But uh, there's going to be a barber shop. There's a recording studio. I mean, oh. imagine if you, if, if you can think of that. Everyone has, they don't have a lazy river. Okay. They don't have the slide like the fireman slide, like they have at Clemson, but um, this is going to be a crown jewel. And it's the kind of thing that Florida has been missing. The kind of thing that uh, should be a, a game changer relative to, to recruiting because uh, Dan Mullen in his uh, speech to, he spoke to the not just the UAA representatives and a bunch of donors that were there, but also all the construction workers. And he and Scott Strickland thanking them for them hard work. He used the phrase "wow factors," and the people they're trying to wow, obviously, are going to be the potential student athletes. And of course, they they want the current student athletes to enjoy this place as well. And um, it is it is going to be something to see once it's done. And like you said, Adam, yes, the, the topping out ceremony is a it's obviously ceremonial in nature. It's the final beam on that goes up into the ceiling. They stuck it in there, and now they're going to start building down. And that kind of is a is 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 a signal that um, they're heading into home stretch. There's still a lot of work to do. Uh, spring of two, excuse, excuse me, spring of 2022. But uh, when this place is done, um, it's going to be a it's going to be a Taj Mahal looking place, I would imagine. I think this is just the, the nature of time and, and how we perceive it. But I remember when it was initially announced and, and the timeline was spring of 2022 and you thought, oh my gosh, I can't even I can't even fathom that far down the road. And now as we sit here today, that's maybe nine months. I mean, it's just wild the way that things, that especially big projects, they move along and then before you know it, they, they're, all, they're upon you kind of out of nowhere. To that point, Remember the indoor practice facility, Florida's one of the last to have an indoor practice facility in the Southeastern Conference. There wasn't one here. And originally the one that they were going to build was going to be 80 yards. And yeah. Jim McElwain got here and said, nah, that's, that, that's unacceptable. And remember how fast that thing was built, Scott? I mean, I want, I want to say that thing was built in like eight or nine months. And that is a pretty damn impressive structure. Um, and go to where we are with this facility. If you recall, this facility was originally going to be built on the far side of the track stadium over closer to where the, the basketball complex is and the tennis complex is over at the, where the, where the throwers practice over on the, on the, in the track field. And it's going to be smaller than this. And Strickland told the story yesterday, how Chip Howard said, he goes, man, if we could pick a place and move our baseball stadium somewhere else on campus, this would be the perfect place to have our, football field and Strickland goes, I looked like I'm lucky, like he had three heads <laughs> and uh, he only needed one head and that was a really good idea. 
and the 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 concept for um, uh, the Heavener football practice facility um, uh, was born was hatched that day, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be something to see. Like I said, uh, just you know, one of the more interesting things about it to me is how how much involved Dan Mullen was in its planning. Uh, if you read Chris's story, you know he talks about that. But also that Mullen had experience with this. I mean, he did this at Mississippi State, so uh, I think that's a uh, something that obviously will benefit the program and the fact that, especially from an efficiency and logistics standpoint, uh, he understands how those kind of new facilities can really have an impact just on your day-to-day operation and and make life easier. But I was not at the topping off ceremony; uh, had something going on, but I have seen that place just shoot up in the last month and like chris said it really does it's an amazing looking structure and i'm really looking forward to uh to going over there once it gets built and see what's see what's all in there uh because uh, i heard it's even got a barber shop so maybe uh maybe i can start getting haircuts there <laughs> the barber shop angle was cool um and i i really did like i know chris you talked about this i really like the idea that they're creating a space where all athletes can come together. And and Mullen, you know, specifically talking about that, how important that was to give the football players not just the ability to be around each other, but to interact with world champion hurdlers. And, you know, I mean, just the kind of athletes that you have across campus that, that don't exist within the football program, but can really contribute to the culture and, and help everybody. As Mullen said, that the back-to-back basketball teams did for the 06-08 football teams. Yeah, he said one of the things that fueled the, the, the 06, he, he thought was a huge impact on the 06 uh, football championship was the 06 uh, National Basketball Champions who had won it, it would, however many, nine months earlier than that. And the, and the bond that those guys had together just hanging out together and, and what have you. And to his point, um, you know, a place like Florida that's is across the board has some – Really, really fine programs, really great individual athletes where you're talking about swimmers, you're talking about track people and what have you. So the fact that they can that they can hang out together makes this place uh, uh, unique in nature and build those kind of relationships. So he wants that. He wants them together. The, he pointed out where they have that on the academic side with the Hawkins Center, which people talked about that being a crown jewel with $35 million. Uh, this one is what, Scott, is it $80 million? I think 85, 85 million. dollars. So um, another another crown jewel, and certainly something that, uh, by all accounts, and everyone hopes, will be really, really uh, a difference maker, game change kind of thing for the football program. So yeah, we're excited to see as as the progress continues there, um, and then not too far away, we're kind of like you know dotting around campus, not too far away from there is the uh, the basketball facility. And uh, Chris, before we you know wrap this up for for the season, I know you had a chance to get over there in the last couple of days and see a lot of the new blood, and there is a lot of new blood all on the court together at the same time. Yeah, and I think each of the last two podcasts, uh, you know, we been able to talk about the new arriving um, assistant coaches, Eric Pastrana from by way of Oklahoma state and Keem Miskden from uh, Florida Atlantic. I got a chance to actually sit down and talk to those guys a little bit for a, for a story I'm working on about, you know, replacing 66% of your uh, assistant coaching staff. Um, But this week, the four uh, transfer players uh, rolled in, they went through their physicals, they, did all whatever testing and got enrolled and what have you. And they were allowed to start practicing 
um, on the court uh, with the new, with the coaches um, on Wednesday. So I got to go out there and watch a little bit. It's just uh, they can't be with the other team right right now. I think the way it works, the 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 current players, the ones that played on the team last year, they had their allotted individual instruction. I think they're they're, they're allowed two weeks of it at this particular time of the year during summer A, as it were. They already had their one week. And so this week it's going to be these guys are going to weave them in. And when summer B rolls around, everyone can be involved. But uh, you're talking about Brandon McKissick um, from Kansas City, Missouri. You're talking about Flam Fleming from Charleston Southern. You're talking about Myron Jones from Penn State and C.J. Felder from Boston College. Um, these are grown guys, man. You're talking uh, – they're, they're seniors, they're juniors. Um, it's a little different feel about them because they've – They've been in Division One, uh, in some cases, high major Division One basketball uh, wars. So um, they all they all have their reasons for leaving their places. They all have their reasons for picking Florida. Um, uh, how this is going to play out? This is, I mean, these these were really good players at their former place. In some cases, you're talking about defensive two defensive players of the year uh, in their respective conferences in McKissick and and and, and Fleming. Uh, Myron Jones was a 15-point scorer uh, at Penn State. Um, uh, C.J. Felder, like uh, I think I said on here a couple weeks, second in block shots in the in the in the ACC uh, this past season at Boston College. Their teams weren't particularly uh, um, successful. Uh, maybe that's why they're here. But one thing's for sure: these these guys played 32, 35 minutes a game. That's probably not going to happen now because you're talking they're landing in a place where they're. They're assuming Colin Castleton comes back. They'll be competing. There's, there's only so minutes to go around when you're talking about Anthony DeRuji coming back and, and Tyree Appleby coming back and, 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 and the players Florida, ha- Florida has right now. So, uh, yeah, I got to see him. I got to see him put through workouts. But it, like I said, it's a little different feel because usually freshmen come in and they got the little wide-eyed look about them. These guys don't have that wide-eyed look, look about them. They look like seasoned guys who have been through this before. They're just doing it at a, at a different place. This is a story that's going to be really interesting, really different. Um, I've said it before. This is probably the way of the world. This is certainly the way of college basketball in 2021. Um, this kind of quick makeover kind of thing. Um, we'll see how, we'll see how it all plays out, but uh, those guys are here and they're Gators and, it's time for them to uh, start trying trying to build something relative to culture and chemistry and whatever all that stuff that you do in June and July. Yeah, and obviously look forward to talking more about them as they come together over the summer when we return in the fall. Um, but I, I think it is important, you know, as as we sort of put a, a close on on this season of uh, of our our chats here um, to acknowledge what a weird year this was. Um, it obviously had a huge impact on the field. We saw it affect the football season. It's changed every aspect of what we know a normal athletic year to be. So, you know, as we're now at the end of this athletic year, um, I know, Chris, there's a, a more formal process of, of your top 10 team and individual moments that you'll be putting out here in, in the next few weeks. Um, but w- what do you think about when you reflect on the, the past athletic season and everything good and bad that, that has come with it? Yeah, I mean, I'm right now in the process of putting together those ten. We we, t- we call them. A, we don't call that necessarily uh, highlights, or but we, we do break it down into ten, like memorable moments for team and, and individuals. And uh, sometimes those things are just are poignant in a way that that maybe didn't happen as far as uh, um, in a in a in a what you would deem 
uh, feel good or su- or successful situation. I know, I just know uh, a couple years ago, one of the ones that struck me the most was if you and you guys will recall this one, when Kelly Barnhill just got shelled at the College World Series, yeah. and she had to be taken out after like a, I, I think in the first inning, if I recall, because um, she was down. I want to say like seven or eight nothing in the first inning against Alabama, and Tim Walton put her put her back in the game to throw one more pitch, and just the 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 reception that she got from the from the fans back then at that time, both Alabama fans, of course, the Oklahoma City just college softball fans and while that wasn't again Florida got swept out of that college world series in two games and while that wasn't a particularly uh, great great moment it uh in terms of success it was it was something that a lot of people you know weren't going to forget and I do remember as a matter of fact I've written I've written a lot of stories since I've been here I think the story I wrote that day about that very moment uh was the second most story that I've written since I've since I've been at at floridagators.com wow but uh, and to that point, this, you know, this time, this time last year, when we were going over these moments, we had a, obviously a, a, an abridged uh, kind of season uh, athletic calendar, but all, and a sudden stoppage. So uh, you had to pick and choose different things. I, COVID stoppage was obviously the number one uh, story of last season. That wasn't particularly feel good moment too. But you know, we got some things to to sift through um, in terms of twenty twenty one. We're talking about. Uh, you know, Florida beating Georgia in football for the first time in a while. You're talking about men's tennis, of course. Uh, changing of the guard, really, in 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 the soccer program. Swimming winning its nice straight SEC title. Individually, uh, you know, Kyle Pitts, Sam Riffis, mm-hmm. um, Keontae Johnson. I mean, so Kyle Trask and and Trinity Thomas had an unbelievable season. So um, there'll be there'll be some things that you'll see. Uh, I haven't, I haven't ranked them yet. haven't finalized things. And, you know, I know we're signing off, but there still could be some uh, top 10 uh, kind of moments coming out of the uh, NCAA track and field championships this weekend. So um, that'll be coming out in a few weeks. And we hope uh, that always generates some kind of buzz on social media. Like, why'd you leave this one out? Usually <laughs> what I hear about, but um, you know, we can relive some of those things uh, when the time comes in a couple of weeks. And, and by teasing that for me, Adam. Yeah, you're welcome. And by buzz and social media, Chris means mean replies to <laughs> his tweets. That's yeah, really, usually, that's what that usually, translates yeah. to. Usually, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's many. Great job, Chris. Everything you said was perfect, right? You don't get too many okay, of those. I don't, get too, I don't get too many of those. That's not really a Twitter yeah, thing. That's, that's okay. No, yeah. no, that's, that, yeah. That's those people aren't on Twitter. No, that's not, that's not what Twitter's for. Um, Scott, what about you? What, what stands out when you think about this past season? Well, to me, the biggest story really was just the story of Kyle Trask, I mean, you know, becoming a Heisman finalist from, you know, it was a story that you're around, we're so close to it that while it's happening, sometimes you, you almost forget about how unlikely of a story it is. And now it's been a few months and just yesterday he signed his uh, contract with the Bucks. You know, he's out there tossing balls to Tom Brady, him and Tom Brady are out there. And it, it got you think, okay, this is a guy who, Nobody wanted it coming out of high school. The Gators took a chance, and then he worked his way up, waited his turn, and now he signed a contract worth uh, what five point three million. Got a one point, I think four million signing bonus. And, guaranteed. Uh, That's that guaranteed yeah. money. Yeah. So just uh, you know, when I think about everything, I mean, the Kyle Trask story is one of the best I've ever encountered in my career, uh, and it, it kind of blossomed to a full stage in a. Uh, in 2020, uh, during a 
you know, as Chris said, I mean, COVID is obviously the everything that we talk about is underscored by just how difficult of a year it was just to do your job normal. And that's from that's from the coaches and players to the administrators to the maintenance guys. I mean, it's everybody at the University of Florida and the UAA. And I think just on a personal note, uh, you know, I felt fortunate, you know, to, to be at a place like Florida to where I think we were able to withstand some of the uh, byproducts of COVID that you saw other places in and out of college sports uh, that they weren't as successful. So, you know, there's there's a lot that has gone into the last really 15 months. I mean, it, it's been it's been a tough road. Um, I'm glad it's kind of over. I'm glad that we're really that there is a sense of normalcy that is back. Uh, I felt more of that really at any other time uh recently as a, the baseball tournament you know just walking in there and not wearing a mask mm-hmm. i mean you're sitting in the press box actually seeing people i haven't seen in over a year <laughs> you're like hey man i forgot about you how's it yeah. going you know so you know so those, those are the things i'm remembering uh you know chris uh i'll be like chris is we used to both do these chris is kind of taking charge of the the 10 moments because he uh you know, we duplicated each other a lot. So I'll be looking to see what he comes up with. But um, hopefully he'll have Kyle Trask on there. I think he's on it. Yeah, okay. All right. I, think yeah. I think he's in it. Mm-hmm. You know, what I think is also interesting, just talking about this year, is just the way that – and we see this all the time with sports, where sports really becomes sort of the, the driving force behind things happening in society, right? So if, if you think about where we are now – a lot of it has come through sports about stadiums slowly getting filled up again. And, and that sense of normalcy coming from watching a game and there are real fans there instead of cardboard cutouts. So I think another big thing we'll remember about this season was the way that, that athletics and especially college athletics, which never really stopped um, served as sort of the backdrop for, for our return in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, it has, we've seen it really, in the last two months slowly, but now, you know, no matter where you turn it on the game now, unless it's, you know, Canada, obviously they're not quite to where the U S is. And even some pockets of the U S is still different, but if it's in the, uh, Southeastern United States or up the East coast, I mean, I've seen even more crowds in New York lately. So sports is often a catalyst. And I do think that, um, when you look at what, what we've gone through the last 15 months i think when the history books are written about this this period in american history uh, i think you can talk about sports as being really a leader in some ways of of maybe speeding up the return to normal uh you know i mean you can go back to last fall i mean the sec you know a lot of people are like man you guys are crazy for thinking about playing football and yet you know, Craig Sankey and, and, and the athletic directors and school presidents, they formulated a plan. And sooner than later, you had all the other conferences like, oh, wow, we can do this. And uh, they got back in line and there was a football season and obviously carried over into the spring sports and, and winter sports. So uh, that's just one small example of how sports helped shape, I think, the last uh, 15 months. And uh, I'm glad it did because who knows where who knows where we'd be. If, if sports wasn't leading the way there in some ways. Scott's that kind of put it diplomatically. If you recall that the SEC <laughs> was getting killed yeah. by, yes. some, by yes. some of those other conferences, even ridiculed 
and mocked or what have you. And next thing you know, they're like, (laughs) now we're going to play. So uh, uh, yeah, next time we have one of these podcasts, we'll be talking about games with 80 and 90,000 people uh, going to them. And that's cool. Speaking of events with fans, uh, it takes us to our PAT, uh, which is about the Olympics. And I say that because the Olympics are reportedly not going to have fans. It's going to be very, very strange to see what these Olympics look like. And again, it's part of a result of the progress and advancements we've made here in terms of vaccines relative to other places around the world. I believe Japan is at less than 5% vaccinated. Um, They're still in a state of emergency. It's going to be it's going to be very difficult to pull this off, but they are going to try and do this, at least as we sit here today. Uh, and as a result of that, you know, we're thinking about the Olympics. That's one of the big things every four years in the summer that sports fans can all unite around and sort of bridges the gap until the next college football season. Uh, and, and we're going to be highlighting some Gator Olympians past and present here in the next few weeks. But I wanted to, for our final PAT of this season, uh, talk about your favorite Olympians. You guys have, uh, you've lived a long time. You've seen a number of games and which athletes stand out to you, whether it be for their performance specifically in the games or because of a a personal story that they brought that made them more compelling. Well, when I think about Olympic games, Adam, I mean, the first Olympics I can really remember clearly were the 84 Los Angeles games, obviously dominated by Carl Lewis. And then the 88 Olympics in Seoul were kind of highlighted by the controversy around Ben Johnson. And, you know, I, I just – and, of course, the 92 Olympics, uh, Barcelona, the dream team. But the one that stands out to me the most, I guess, as a fan, as just getting into Olympics was – and the reason it was um, really intriguing to me because the 96 games were in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um and I knew so – I mean, I spent so much time in that city as a kid. That's where my grandparents lived. So, you know, for those years preceding the Olympics, I still remember being in Atlanta a lot and driving right downtown on 7585 and them having a, a flashing sign there, you know, 2,112 days until the 96 Olympic Games start. And, and then you'd see it climb down and you'd see these – stadiums start going up and you saw the city really undergo a change and so I just became uh, kind of fascinated by those games and it was the games that Michael Johnson really kind of stole the show I mean he mm-hmm. he he was setting records in the uh the sprints uh, the 100 and 200 meters and of course those are the I guess marquee events for the American or the men performers there gymnastics for the women also memorable gymnastics events there in Atlanta. But I just remember Michael Johnson. Uh, I remember Muhammad Ali uh, lighting the flame. I remember mm-hmm. watching that live on TV and Bob Costas. And, you know, those are memories that stretch. I probably that's really maybe the last Olympics that I, I was I was plugged into from start to finish. Uh, and Michael Johnson was the headliner. And that's what still stands out. What? 19, so 2021, 19, dang, 25 years ago, Adam. Yeah. That's, that's so it kind of shows you how long it's been. It's hard to believe it's been 25 years ago since the Olympics were in Atlanta. Uh, it's the only time they've ever been in this part of the country. And uh, uh, so that's the one that I always uh, always reflect on. And Michael Johnson's kind of the, the guy that recently when I read that he'd had a stroke, I just remember, wow, that's crazy. So I went and read some about him now and the. Anyway, uh, the, the, that's that, that's probably my Olympic uh, memory. 
Well, you know, I'm, I've been watching Olympics longer than you guys have, obviously, and I would be remiss if I did say how, how compelling it was to watch what Bruce Jenner uh, was able to do in 1976 uh, as I'm a 15-year-old I'm, I'm guy or 16-year-old kid or something to, to watch what he did. And uh, the 1972 Olympics, okay, I was, almost, I guess I was, I was 13 years old. Um, and every, every moment of those games, it was truly fascinating watching the, the basketball team robbed of that gold medal in that famous uh, uh, Russian uh, – I mean, the, the, it was ridiculous. But one of the events that happened in those Olympics was the 800 meters. And there was a runner by the name of Dave Waddle. And people here – I'm sure most people listen have never, have never heard of Dave Waddle. Um, but he was, I think, a runner. I think he was from Bowling Green. And I think he – was around the same time competing collegiately with Marty LaCourie um, in the end for the NSA championship. And in the 800 meters, it still, it still goes down as one of the greatest uh, uh, races in Olympic history. Dave Waddle uh, goes out and this guy, he wore a painter's baseball cap. Okay. Mm-hmm. Every time he ran and he, he stood, he stood out for, for that very reason. And uh, a good, good. Um, I want to say nearly halfway into this race, He's in dead last place by about, I'd say, three or four meters. And then over the course of the final lap, he catches one, two, three, four, five, passes everybody and wins that race at the end. And I often wonder whatever, whatever happened to Dave Waddle. I did see something um, in the last few years, Olympics, about him uh, 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 later in life. But I, I just know he, he went to the, um, uh, the gold medal podium with his cap on. And afterwards, uh, people were saying, well, what's your political statement? Because, of course, she was making a political statement. He was like, I forgot to take it off. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and he was real uh, uh, apolog- apologetic about the whole thing because this was four years after Tommy Smith. And this was this was uh, during these uh, controversial uh, and tragic Olympic Games. But uh, that race always stuck out to me as, as one of the coolest. Um, and, you know, you, Scott mentioned this because another guy I love was Edwin Moses, watching him uh, do the hurdles. Um, Sugar Ray Leonard uh, became a hero. He was from the DC area, and I remember him winning the gold medal in 1976 boxing. And there were some really good boxers. And Pernell Whitaker, I think, was a guy who, who, whose name who, uh, who who became a star. And that's back when I don't know. There was a Cuban boxer by the name of Tiafolo Stevenson who could never box professionally. But it, I, I don't think he ever lost. I don't think that was like a, a, a communist kind of thing where they just said he never lost. I don't think anyone could ever beat him. But all he could ever do is, is fight in things that Cuba let him fight and they never let him fight professionally. But um, it, it, we're going to have more stories like that, uh, obviously, coming out. And I, I can't believe it's, it's tragedy that fans can't come to the Olympics because, I mean, that's, it's, it's just not, not going to be the same any more than watching uh, uh, these NBA guys play in the bubble. But, but you know, you – you want people at the Olympics, man. And mm-hmm. maybe that's the last bastion of being alone in these, in these, in these grand arenas that we're going to have to deal with. Hopefully these Olympics are going to come off as is. And maybe, maybe one day the, on this podcast, 20 years from now, they'll be talking about uh, Grant Holloway or Caleb Dressel the way we're talking about some of these guys uh, right now. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, I'm certainly interested to see what it's going to look like. Do you guys, do you still have the same passion for the Olympics? Does, has it, has it waned at all? Um, I don't know if, if just getting older makes it go away or just recognizing the political structure around it and some of the questions about the, you know, uh, the even handedness. I mean, is it did the Olympics still do it for you or is it not like it was back in the day? Yeah, I pay attention 
in recent years because the Gators have been so well represented uh, in the games, especially the 2012 games in London. You know, when you had Lockie and Ab- Abby Wambach and mm-hmm. Heather Mitz and so many others, uh, Derek Torres was still swimming. Um, but if it was not for some of those connections, I'm probably not going to be as plugged in. Um, I just I, I know enough about the Olympics and the organization that leads it that it's kind of turned me off uh, on the Olympics as a whole. But it's still uh, still a, a huge important event for these athletes and anyone who is able to earn an Olympic berth and that shines on that stage. I mean, I commend them because they are the true stars of those games. And they become internationally famous. It's an amazing opportunity for them. Yeah, and I'm I'm not a slave to them when they're on, um, but I but I it, it is worth mentioning how how far it's come. Uh, I was I was in college when the USA hockey team won that 1980 uh, gold medal at Lake Placid, and the games weren't on live. Um, so, uh, so and yeah. but and everyone knew uh, found out earlier in the day that uh, that that US had had defeated Russia in that incredible game. And everyone had to stay up to watch the not stay up, but they delayed it to so we could in the prime time. So of course everybody watched it. Um, it was a Friday night, if I'm not mistaken, and everyone knew the outcome of it. But everybody watched it anyway because it was just a, a it was a wire story back then that they had won, and you know everyone's talking about it. Everybody wanted to watch it, but everybody already knew what had happened. Times have inevitably changed. Times have changed. Thank you guys for sharing that perspective with us. We always need that. Uh, I'm, I'm too young, right? I think about Allie Raisman, Abby Wambach, you mentioned Scott, um, some of the gymnasts from recent years. But yeah, we got to go. I, I never knew the story that you told, Chris, um, about Dave Waddle. So that's why, that's why these Seriously, podcasts. You need to Google the Dave Waddle race. No, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out now. So this is why we, we have to mine history, right? We learn things on this podcast every week. Um, but this is our. This is not our final podcast of the season. It is our final Gator Roundtable uh, with Chris and Scott. So thank you guys so much for everything, giving us so much great perspective throughout the year. I know the content will continue. And again, make sure to stay locked in for Chris's top 10 list coming up in the next few weeks. But until we meet again, uh, thanks to both of you and, and have a great summer. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.